Today we continue our study in the first chapter of the Apostle John's first letter. So please turn your Bible to the first chapter of 1 John, where we'll start at verse 5. If you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, uh, this is on page 862, I believe. Last time we studied the truth that God is light. And I know that I know God when I shine with God's light. Today, we're going to study the chief reason why some of us think we know God and we do not. And why some of us who know God don't shine very much. First John chapter one, beginning at verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In these words, John addresses the two problems that are motivating this letter we call First John. The two problems John addresses in his letter are, number one, that many think they know God when they do not. And problem number two, that many who do know God don't shine much with God's light. For, God, uh, for, for God's uh, message through John, the cause behind both of these problems is the same. The cause is sin. Specifically, the cause is my not being honest about my sin. John expresses this in three statements found in our text. These three statements are found in verses 6, 8, and 10, and they represent three types of people who fail to get honest about their sin. So let me start by listing these three statements, and then I'll try to describe the types of people that each represents. So John's three statements on not being honest about sin are, starting with verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, these three statements are all on the same topic. But if you study them carefully, you will notice that they're not exactly the same. And the nuances between these three statements lead me to believe that John is portraying three people types who do not get honest about their sin. The three types of people are those who are still dark, those who are self-deceived, and those who are sin-denying. So let's study about these three people types, starting with those who are still dark. Uh, John says in verse six, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. 
Whereas the second and third people types that we'll be uh, studying refer to believers, this first category uh, seems to be referencing those non-believers who are still walking in darkness with no relationship uh, with God. It makes sense that John would start talking about unbelievers here, because as I mentioned in uh, an earlier message in this series, John begins this letter by addressing the concern, the issue that some people have left the true faith to follow their own made up false version of Jesus. So here John is referring to these people who think they know God when they do not. They think that they have fellowship with God, but they are still walking in the dark. Remembering that uh, throughout this letter, John uses darkness as a metaphor for sin. So this first category is still dark. People who have never personally received God's salvation in Jesus because they lie about their darkness in that they don't think of themselves as sinners. When John says that they are far from God because of their sin, because the truth is not in them, these people say, sin? What sin? And it is very possible that you are in this still dark category. One of the great things about BlackRock is that this church is a welcoming place to people at every stage of the knowing God process. And maybe you're here today and you've never thought of yourself as a sinner and you're saying of yourself, sin? Uh, what sin? Well, you're in the right place because it is extremely important, nothing more important than seeing that you have a sin nature that separates you from God. We've got a little problem here, though. Uh, the problem is that I can't prove to you that you are a sinner uh, who needs a savior. I can show you in Scripture that God proclaims that you're a sinner separated from him. Um, I can give you examples of the reality that you have lied and cheated and mistreated people. But really, there is nothing I can say that is going to fill you with the conviction that if you were to stand before God in eternity right now, he would judge you for your sin and declare that he does not know you. If you saw this reality, you would run to Jesus right now. But I can't convince you of that reality. But I know someone who can. Just hours before he was sentenced uh, to the cross, Jesus told his followers in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Truly I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. If you will quiet your heart, if you'll be still just for a moment, you will hear the voice of this Holy Spirit convincing you that you are in the wrong, that you need to be saved from sin and that Jesus is the only Savior and your only hope. But maybe you're saying, well, can't you at least give me a test that will help me know if I am a person who is still in the dark? Well, John offers just such a test in the next chapter in this letter. In chapter 2, verse 15, John writes, 
If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and here the word lust just means high desire, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. John says that if you want to know if you are still in the dark, then the way you test yourself is for you to examine what you love in life. You know that you are still in the dark when your highest desires are for this world. If your highest desires are for selfish pleasure, for dominating people, for getting ahead, for getting more money, for getting even, for getting revenge, for getting drunk, for getting high, for getting sex outside of marriage, for getting people to please or serve you. If any of these are your highest loves in life, then you probably are still in the dark. But if your highest love is for the Father, then that's a different story. If your highest desires are for pleasing God and knowing God, for helping people physically and spiritually, for making a difference for eternity, for giving generously to God's work in the church, if these are your loves in life, then you are probably walking in the light. And I mentioned giving generously to God's work because Scripture teaches that if you are a true Christ follower, giving to God's work is a real proof of where you stand with God. Tithing, giving in worship is one of those things that separates those who know God from those who do not know God. If you love this world, then you love money and the things that it can bring to you. And no one will get you to give to God. But if you love the Father, no one will be able to keep you from giving generously to God's work in the church. And this act of giving in worship confirms where your heart is. Giving shows that your heart is with the Father and with eternity. Because Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John says that it is very possible to think that you know God when you do not. And the first category of those who fail to be honest about their sin are those who do not yet see their sin because they are still in the dark. But John outlines two more people categories who do not get honest about their sin. And these two people types that remain seem to refer to believers in Christ. Why? Well, because John describes them after what he says in verse 7 about being purified in Jesus. Well, the second people type John mentions are those who are self-deceived. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This category refers to people who at some point uh, were honest enough about their sin to seek out God's forgiveness and receive purity through faith in Jesus. But then over time, something happened. 
Over time, these people became more and more impressed with their knowledge of Scripture and their external behavior. And as they became more impressed with themselves, they became less and less honest about their continuing struggle with sin. I'm describing a process here that should sound familiar to many of us if we're honest. If we're honest... This is our story of how we used to be really sensitive to God's conviction of sin in our lives. But somewhere along the line, we became kind of self-satisfied. Somewhere we became self-deceived into thinking that we had everything under control and that we really don't need to confess sin to God. This may sound like an innocent problem, but it is not. If you know the Gospels, you know that there was a group of people that Jesus found infuriating, aggravating, and even nauseating. And it was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a self-righteous bunch who looked clean on the outside, but were full of dirty motives and nasty attitudes on the inside. And I will never shine God's light if I am an infuriating, aggravating, nauseating Pharisee. I need to get honest with God about my sin. And the first step to seeing my self-deception is to ask myself if I display the signs of one who is self-deceived. The first sign is that I am focused more on the don'ts than the do's. It is easy uh, to think of myself as righteous if I'm focused on the bad actions I don't do. Uh, when you think about it, it's a very small accomplishment to not do certain things. Uh, how can I take pride that I don't curse or steal or, uh, or, or cheat if uh, a dead branch can do that? Uh, it's easy to do nothing. Uh, I am self-deceived if I take pride in doing nothing while I turn a blind eye to an inner bitterness that keeps me from doing the peacemaking work of forgiving a person who has hurt me. Or I'm blind to the selfish attitudes that keep me from doing the good Samaritan deed for the needy person that I meet along the road. Those who self-deceive into believing they're self-righteous do it by focusing on what they don't do. The next sign that I'm self-deceived is that I'm highly image conscious. Uh, by definition, Pharisees are all about the external image. Uh, if I'm a Pharisee, the point is not to be holy. The point is to look holy. The point is not to be compassionate. The point is to look like I care about people. The point is not to love God. The point is to look like I do. And as a pastor, this is one of those things I struggle with all the time. Sometimes I struggle with my motives. Uh, do I show interest in people because I love them or because it is my job? Uh, do I preach to be faithful or so that people will think I'm smart or talented? Do I live a God honoring life uh, because I love God or because I'm paid to? I mean, you know, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, uh, when you think about it, I'm paid to be good. Uh, and there are times when I wish that I could be good for nothing, just like you. And 
<laughs> and I mean every word of that. Every, every word of that. So. The third sign that uh, I am self-deceived into believing that I am self-righteous is that I have a judgmental spirit. I know that I'm self-deceived when I am quick to see sin in other people, but really slow to see any real sin in myself. I am self-deceived when I have a judging pride that wants to change the people in my life. Many spouses do this. Many brothers and sisters want to change each other. When that judgmental spirit appears in my home or in my church life, it is a sign that I am self-deceived and I need to get honest about my sin. Many of us feel self-righteous because we compare ourselves to murderers and thieves and adulterers and feel like we're comparatively sinless. Uh, this is a self-deception based on an ignorance of what sin really is. I believe it was a preacher from uh, 100 years ago named Charles Spurgeon who compared a sin thought to an acorn. And Spurgeon said that in a single acorn, there is an ocean of wood, which means that, uh, that if we were to plant this acorn in the right environment, that single acorn would produce an oak tree, which would, of course, then produce thousands of other acorns that can produce each another uh, oak tree and a thousand more acorns. And so uh, in the right environment, that one uh, Acorn can produce an ocean of wood. And on the other hand, an acorn that falls on the pavement uh, just stays an acorn. Spurgeon says that every sin thought is like an acorn. If you have a, uh, a thought about a person that goes like, I don't like this person and I wish they were not around. I wish I could cut this person out of my life. That hate-filled thought is an acorn that may fall on pavement and just stay a single thought. But that thought in the right environment, with the right circumstances, with the right provocations, could lead to hateful words, to gossip, to violence, and even murder. And just because God has sheltered me from environments that would take my little acorn and grow it into an ocean of wood. You think I can be self-righteous? No, not in God's eyes. God sees the acorn of a hateful thought or a jealous thought or a greedy thought for what it is. And in God's eyes, a sinful thought and or an attitude is just as sinful as murder or theft or worse. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that hate, uh, to hate is to commit murder in the heart. To lust is to commit adultery in the heart. I cannot shine if I am a Pharisee who sees sin in others but does not see it in myself. I can't shine unless I am cleansed from those sin seeds of thought and attitude that I overlook when I'm one of those who is self-deceived. But now we need to move on to the last category who failed to get honest about their sin. The third people type that John mentions are those who are sin denying. Verse 10, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. 
In the wording of this verse, it seems that John is talking about a believer who is denying the presence of a specific sin that God has put his finger on and is identified. God has put his finger on the presence of a specific sin. And as this person hides it and denies it, that person ends up calling God a liar. Uh, when God says it's sin and I say it isn't, when God says it's there and I say it isn't, I'm calling God a liar. In order to shine, I must be honest with God and confess my sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, God promises, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That word confess is the Greek word homologo, which is the combination of homo meaning the same and logo meaning word or thing. So to confess means that I say the same thing God says about my sin. To confess means that I agree with God about my sin in at least four areas. First, I agree that my sin is present. I can't call God a liar and expect to experience God's forgiveness in my life. In confession, I stop claiming that I have not sinned. I stop hiding and I agree with God that the sin is present. Two, I agree that my sin is mine. Uh, confessing means that I take responsibility for my sin. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame my circumstances. I can't make excuses. I agree that my sin is mine and mine only. Three, I agree that my sin is toxic. Not only can I not rationalize my sin in true confession, but I also uh, cannot minimize my sin. I agree with God that my sin does damage to me, to others, and to my relationship with God. And four, I agree that I must be clean. True confession is not just being honest for honesty's sake. Confession is being honest with a desire to receive God's cleansing, his promised cleansing that purifies me and changes me. Therefore, true confession includes my desire to be the joyful, free spirited person God has designed me to be. Robert Munger wrote a short story entitled My Heart, Christ's Home. And I've imagined, uh, reimagined this story a little bit so that it goes like this. When Jesus came into my life, he brought incredible joy. He brought light into my dark interior. He brought life where I was cold and dead. And I said, Jesus, I want you to be the master of my heart. So make my heart your home. Now, let me show you around the house. And so I brought Jesus to the study of my mind and instantly he read the entire library of my thoughts and Jesus looked concerned. I said, Jesus, what's wrong? And he said, well, you've got shelves and shelves of thoughts that need to go. You've got textbooks uh, that are full of, of anger and bitterness. You have old magazines with pictures that are disturbing you. I knew the books and magazines he was referring to. And at first, I didn't want to let them go. But then I thumbed through them again and I agreed, you're right, Jesus. I've got to let these things go. So together, Jesus and I threw out those old volumes. And on the empty shelves, Jesus put the books of his word and his thoughts and his adventure stories for my life. 
And after the scene in the study, I wanted to impress Jesus. And so I took him to next the trophy room. Here I had displayed all my medals of accomplishments and my loving cups of success. And to my shock, Jesus said, we need to gather these things together, too. And I said, well, you're not going to throw them out, are you? And Jesus said, no, we're going to melt them down and make them into tools. Because all these things were given to you for the Father's glory, not for yours. And so Jesus melted down the medals and the awards and formed them into tools so that my trophy room became a workshop. And I had to admit the workshop was a lot more fun than the trophies ever were. Next, we walked through my appetites in the kitchen and uh, continued this way all through my heart's home. And finally, Jesus stopped and his face looked pained as if uh, he caught a whiff of some foul odor. And he pointed to a tiny hall closet and said, it's in there. And that upset me. And I said, Jesus, I have unlocked every door in every room in this house. This tiny closet is all I want for me. And Jesus said, well, I can't really live here uh, with that smell. And the thought of Jesus living on the fringes of my life was worse than giving him the key to my closet. And so I gave him the key and he opened it up and the smell was overpowering. And he brought the dead and the secret and the rotting things into the light. And together we agreed that they had to go. And so Jesus did the dirty work. Jesus cleaned my closet. And when it was over, we hugged each other with relief. And without that smell, I was able to think clearly and finally understand that this really wasn't my house. So with joy, I never dreamed possible. I gave Jesus the title and said, Jesus, I don't want you to be a guest in my house anymore. I want you to be the owner and I want to serve you. First John chapter one, verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us and cleanse us. You may be wondering, does this mean that if I don't confess my sin, well, then God doesn't forgive me for those sins? No. If I am a child of God, my faith in the sacrifice of Jesus covers all my sin. But there is a difference between being forgiven by God and experiencing the forgiveness of God in my life. I experience God's forgiveness as I engage in an honest relationship with him where there are no secrets in the closet. And this is where God really shines in my life. So many people who know God do not shine with his light because they're not experiencing the joy of having no secrets. The joy, the freedom, the cleansing that is found when they give Jesus the key to their closet. In the words of 1 John, God invites you to really shine by inviting you to come out of the dark into his light. And so God starts this getting honest process with this question. So, what's in your closet? Let's talk to God. I'd like to just give you a moment. And maybe uh, you've realized uh, today that you're in the dark still and Jesus isn't even in your house yet. Would you just uh, take this moment to confess your need for forgiveness and um, ask Jesus into your life through faith and 
and receive uh, his Holy Spirit in your life. But maybe Jesus is in your life, but he's on the fringes because you've got a closet. You've got some secrets and you need to give the key to him. The closet is full of desires that are destructive or anger or jealousy or discontent or worry or fear or bitterness or an unforgiving spirit. What is Jesus saying to you? What is in your closet? Would you just take a moment now and would you just get honest with him and come into the light? Now, would you just receive forgiveness? That's the point. Would you just receive the cleansing and the forgiveness of God? 